And we're back live with Omar Rivero. He is the founder of the national political website, OccupyDemocrats.com. Omar, thank you so much for joining us on the program tonight. Thanks for having me. So, Omar, are you looking forward to tonight's first presidential debate between Democrat Hillary Clinton and the Republican nominee Donald Trump? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think Trump has had an easy time debating against all the other Republican lightweights. Uh, It's going to be interesting to see what he can do against a seasoned uh, debater and an actual politician who's prepared uh, and really knows his stuff like Hillary. So I'm pretty excited about it. So it's going to be hosted on CNN, uh, but the moderator is actually from NBC News. It's uh, Lester Holt. Uh, So do you expect to see some real-time fact-checking going on by the moderator in this debate? I mean, I I would hope so. I might. I would honestly be kind of surprised. But uh, give, given the the drubbing that Matt Lauer took at the hands of the national media uh, the day after the the first debate, well, not the debate. It was like a candidate forum. Right. Um, the the two I, candidate I, forum. I, yeah, I think Lester Holt would be looking to you know, save grace and you know really establish himself as a real journalist, which I think he is. So we might see some life fact-checking, but maybe not too much. Yeah, well, you know, the difference is that Matt Lauer is really more involved with the Today Show, although he does appear on some of their political programs. But Lester Holt solely focuses on hard news, as they call it. Um, but he actually is, is a registered Republican. Do you think that will have any impact on the debate? I honestly don't, because, I mean, even, even registered Republicans don't really like Trump. And the facts are the facts. So, you know, the, the facts don't have a, a bias either way. So and if he says, I was against the war in Iraq, it, it would have to be his journalistic duty to say, no, you weren't. I mean, it's just ridiculous to have Trump just flat out lie the way he does. It's unprecedented for uh, a presidential candidate for any major political party in, in modern history. I've never seen anybody lie the way he does and get away with it. So it would be interesting to see whether or not Lester Holt you know, defends his journalistic integrity. Right. That is one of the biggest questions. Um, but there's another question, which obviously it, it has more to do with the nature of the presidential debate than the actual content, right? I mean, isn't there a, a style points to this that is counted in certain ways that are just kind of unknowable before you go into the debate? Um, I mean, don't, don't a lot of uh, observers that are maybe less educated look at the body language, unfortunately, uh, rather than the policies or the politics. I mean, isn't that something that, that is one of the bigger questions going into tonight's presidential debate? Yeah, I think that's especially true on the right side. I mean, for example, if you watch Fox News, you know, they say Roger Ailes before he was unceremoniously let go by Fox News. Um, they say he used to watch Fox News without the volume on because he wanted to make sure that the newscasters and everybody looked a certain way and, and presented themselves and gave off an aura, a certain conservative aura. And I think Donald Trump is the same way. I mean, he makes... If you look at him without volume on, he always looks confident. He never looks uh, rattled. Uh, whenever, whenever he's pushed into a corner, he just laughs. He literally laughs off the question or, or he says a really kind of insulting comment the way he does. I mean, he thinks he's like a CEO in a business meeting. 
And I think I think it's gone over fine with other Republicans that he's dealt with, and, and during the Republican uh, debate, there's a different audience. Like that that crowd that crowd is out; they want to see blood. I think in this in this debate, in this this the general election debate, is there's, there's a different composition of people, and people are looking for nuanced, uh, healthy, respectful debate that's really going to push our country forward and solve the pressing issues that we have, and. It's going to be interesting to see whether or not Trump can temper himself and really show himself to be a serious candidate, which I think even Republican insiders know that he is not. And even he himself probably knows that he's not a serious candidate. So let's see what he can do. Well, let's let's talk about the seriousness of Trump's circus, shall we call it, because it's it's not a normal campaign. Um, Mike Pence, the vice presidential nominee, came out to the media and said that he is seeking to be a vice president in the mold of Dick Cheney. Uh, Dick Cheney probably was the most uh, consequential, Not uh, that doesn't mean good or bad, but consequential in the sense of um, making enormous, enormous decisions about America and Americans' futures uh, from the vice president's role. Um, do we go to war or not? Uh, what intelligence do we use? Very, very unorthodox things. And and Trump's vice presidential nominee, Mike Pence, has come out and said he wants to be a Dick Cheney-style vice presidency. Um, does that indicate that Trump is not really looking to, you know, operate the office? Yeah, I mean, I think you hit the nail on the head. Out of all the things that the Trump campaign has said, and there have been many ridiculous and dangerous and offensive things, I think the one that has concerned me the most was this statement. Also, coupled with another statement about maybe a month ago, the Trump and his campaign, they released a statement saying that Mike Pence is going to do most of the actual governing. And Trump is going to focus on, quote, making America great again, close quote, whatever the heck that means. But it's absolutely terrifying because Pence is a smart, uh, he's a smart judicial very dangerous demagogue, Republican demagogue, but he's got a brain on his shoulders. And to say that he envisions he, he's modeling his presidency after what happened with Bush and Cheney, where Bush basically went on vacation and had no idea he would miss security briefings yet. Cheney was basically whispering in his ears and taking care of all um, the administrative work, which included the war in Iraq, the financial deregulation that led to the mortgage crisis. I mean, they, he literally destroyed this country block by block. While Bush was on vacation. And I'm really worried. I mean, I don't think that Trump is going to win the presidency, but if he were to, America would be in for a really rough ride. While Trump just goes around campaigning and, like, doing whatever. I mean, he even said he was going to do The Apprentice at the Oval Office. Who knows what Trump is going to do, but he's nowhere near qualified or capable in order to do the job of actually being the president. And to have somebody like Mike Pence be pulling strings behind the scenes, and modeling himself after Dick Cheney, which is the worst vice president and de facto president uh, in the history of the United States, in my opinion, or in modern history, it's really concerning. Well, yeah, I mean, there's there's been some really tremendously bad presidents through history, although um, it could certainly be argued that George W. Bush may be the worst president in American history. What do you think? Is there somebody worse um, than even George W. Bush? Because American history is 240 years. Bush only was there for eight. <laughs> I mean, there's, there's been a lot of bad precedents, but like you said, I don't think any of them have been as consequential as Bush and Cheney were. 
And I don't mean that in a good way. And I don't think that George W. Bush himself was, is a really bad person. Or I think he was also bamboozled by Dick Cheney and his father's buddies, Paul Wolfowitz, Donald Rumsfeld, the people who are really running the Bush administration. Uh, they're some of the worst people. It's like the who's who of terrible neocons in American history. And for the first time ever, they were able to seize power. And the way that they blacked out the media and the way that they controlled the narrative and used terrorism to scare us while doing all kinds of financial fraud. I mean, remember the Enron scandal? I mean, Well, what, Enron what was actually George W. Bush's largest benefactor. Yeah, yeah. exactly. So these guys were, yeah, it was bad. I mean, they, it, it wasn't just what they did with terrorism. It was what they did to the financial markets, the way that they loan-sharked consumers and basically put all of America in debt. You know, the Bush administration and the subsequent financial recession was the largest transfer of wealth from the rich to the poor in the history of mankind. So they really did a number on America, while Americans were still like, oh, well, you know, George Bush seems like a nice guy. I'll have a beer with him. But in reality, Bush wasn't even running the show, and Dick Cheney, the evil mastermind, was behind the scenes putting all of us in debt and making all his oil and energy tycoons buddies rich. So... Uh, it's it's really concerning to hear Mike Pence even mention the word Dick Cheney. It's, I can't believe here we are eight years later and we have a vice presidential candidate with, within shot within earshot of actually winning the presidency um, that's modeling himself after the man who masterminded the decline of the once great American middle class. So it's really troubling. It's very troubling. And you know what? We're going to take a very short break. And we'll be right back. This is the Only in Miami show. Mama always said we were royalty. She even said it's staring in the face of poverty. Is that insanity or vanity? I think it's nothing but the power of the mind. Believe she put it in me. Because I live on my dreams. I get my fantasies wings. One day I'm going to be king. I'm going to make that woman so proud of the son. I know you heard about change. It's going to come. One question. Will you be there? Will you be there? I'll be there with my hands held high in the air like a champion. Cause I demand the win.
Welcome back. This is the Only in Miami show, and I'm your host, Grant Stern. You can find me on Twitter at Grant Stern and everything about the show at www.onlyinmiami.co, iTunes, podcast, SoundCloud, and a whole lot more. Check it out at onlyinmiami.co. And we're back on the line with the founder of national uh, political publication, OccupyDemocrats.com. If you've ever seen one of those memes, this is the guy who started it all. We're here with Omar Rivera. Omar, thank you so much for joining me on the program tonight. Glad to be here. So uh, let's talk about some of the other issues that are affecting the race. Um, th- because there's a lot that's going to be debated, but the big question is, um, do the candidates really go at each other for personal history, for what the campaigns are doing? And in particular, I'm concerned or curious do you think that Hillary Clinton will attack Donald Trump for his ties to the Kremlin, Russia, and Vladimir Putin? I think absolutely. I mean, when you're running for the highest office of the presidency, I mean, I ran for office for state representative down in Florida, and I have to disclose everything. So if you're running for president, uh, your financial ties, especially when you're talking about things that could uh, endanger or have an impact on our, on our national security, um, I think that they're fair games. Now, do I think that Hillary should bring up, you know, Trump's uh, his broken marriages, or whether Hillary should bring up uh, Bill Clinton's infidelity? I mean, whether Trump should bring up Hillary's I mean, Bill Clinton's infidelity? Um, I think those things are out of bounds. But somebody's financial ties and tax returns uh, for his office of president of the United States. Not only is it fair game, but uh, it's the right thing to do. The American people need to be as aware and informed about a candidate as possible before making such a big decision. Well, you know, it's interesting you brought up something that's become a sideshow. Um, there's no other way to put it. It's become a sideshow in the run-up to tonight's debate, and that is um, this idea that uh, Donald Trump invited Jennifer Flowers, whose only claim to fame is uh, having claimed an affair with former President Bill Clinton, who is not on the ticket this year. Um, but, but doesn't that only highlight the infidelities of the Republican candidate, Donald Trump? Yeah. I mean, to be honest, I, I don't know if he's actually inviting her. That was just a tweet that he sent out, but they've asked him about it. And he said it was in gist and she wouldn't actually be, be invited because if, if she were to invite him, then yeah, I would absolutely agree. I don't think that Trump wants to bring any kind of attention to infidelities just because it's a bad look. I mean, Hillary, Bill Clinton was unfaithful to Hillary, but Hillary stayed with him, and they worked things out. And America respects that. Um, Trump, Trump left wife number one for wife number two. He cheated on wife number one with wife number two. He cheated on wife number two with wife number three. Um, he's committed. Um, I think. I think. Yeah, I, I just don't think it's a winning issue for him. You know, it's like. If they want to go, both get down in the mud and, and wrestle, they're both going to end up getting dirty. And I think it's just going to be a bad look for the American people. And the American people are wondering, they're curious as to whether or not Donald Trump can be a serious candidate. I think it would go much a long way for him to be serious and deflect these questions and stick to the issues. I don't think that he will do that because he doesn't have the temperament. But if I were him or his advisors, that's what I would tell him to do. Yeah, well... To me, something that got overshadowed, like when I was, uh, I presume that you watched both of the political conventions, right, Omar? Yeah, I was, I was actually at the DNC. Okay, so you were at the DNC, 
And I presume that you watched the the debacle and the mistake by the lake in Cleveland. By the what? The, they, they used to call the Cleveland football stadium the mistake by the lake. Oh. <laughs> I, I just, yeah, I mean, you know, I, it just it makes, you know, because really the big mistake in Cleveland was, of course, Melania Trump's plagiarized speech, which kind of highlighted the convention and became the number one story from the convention, right? Yeah, I mean, it was the number one story on our page, if you remember. Yeah, yeah. And, um, you know, the thing that struck me about that speech more than the plagiarism because it struck me first people figured out the plagiarism you know after the speech um but what struck me about the speech originally is that she said she had been with donald trump for 18 years which is 1998 they got married in 2005 the thing is trump did not get divorced until 1999 yeah so so i mean she may be the first ever first lady you know, like she may be the first ever first lady who said in her introductory speech, I committed adultery with the candidate, <laughs> but that never yeah, got I mean, that. That never became an issue because the plagiarism just grew a life of its own. Yeah. And also, I mean, Trump has so many firsts. He's the first one to not release his tax return. He's the first one to not have any political experience. He's the first one to make fun of a disabled person. He's the first one to be unapologetically misogynistic. I mean, it's, it's, there's so many firsts in this election. Now, he's, the, he's the first presidential candidate to insult immigrants in the way that he does. I mean, I've been around, and George Bush was very nice, in his words, was actually very nice and very open-minded, even when speaking about Muslims. Even throughout his war on terror, he was always very respectful of the, of the American Muslim community. And you have somebody like Trump who's just going around and just insulting everybody. Um, so I, I just, a lot, all, all these little scandals and all these things with Trump, there's just so many of them that it overwhelms the American media. I mean, I work in media and it's overwhelming for me. It's overwhelming for the American people. And I'm just hoping that they all, they add up to a conclusion that this man is just completely unfit, uh, and unserious to be leader of the free world. And I have faith in the American people. I was, I was just talking about this last night. People are freaking out saying that Trump is closing in and that he has a possibility of, possibility of winning. I honestly don't. And I, I think that this, the same American voting bloc that elected and re-elected President Obama is not going to turn around and elect a dangerous, really ignorant demagogue uh, like Donald Trump. I mean, he can't even get the endorsement of presidents from his own party. This is the only leadership in his own party doesn't endorse him. And Hillary has Barack President Obama, Michelle Obama, Bill Clinton, Joe Biden, and she's got... Uh, she even has uh, pres- uh, George H.W. Bush, too, right? Yeah, yeah, and, and, and all the military leaders are, are penning open letters, and they're signing them, putting their name on it, saying Trump is unfit. These are conservative military leaders saying Trump is unfit to be, mili- to be commander-in-chief. Please elect Hillary Clinton. So I, I think... I don't think that Trump is... I think he's a paper tiger. I don't think that he's a strong as people think. And another good example, people are saying, well, well, Trump is really popular on social media. Like, look at his, look how popular his posts are on social media. Yeah, they may be popular, but his engagement, which is likes, comments, and shares on Facebook for the last two, three months, has consistently been about half of what we at Occupy Democrats have. Well, and on, is that on, because- on that note, we're going to take a very short station break. 
uh, throw down a little bit of traffic, and we'll be back in a minute with Omar Rivero. He is the founder of OccupyDemocrats.com. This is the Only in Miami show. Time saver traffic. Busy in Miami Dave, we're looking at slow traffic on 95 northbound from the 112 up past 151st. Palmetto's jumped up southbound at a Coral Way. Earlier accident cleared, but delays from the Dolphin. And in Broward, we're slow on State Road 84 westbound between 95 and Ravenswood Road. And the Turnpike slows southbound around Griffin Road. That's your South Florida traffic. This is the Only in Miami show, and I'm your host, Grant Stern. You can find me on Twitter at Grant Stern and everything about the show at www.onlyinmiami.co, iTunes, podcast, SoundCloud, and a whole lot more. Check it out at onlyinmiami.co. And we're back live with Omar Rivero. He is the founder of OccupyDemocrats.com. Omar, thank you so much for joining me on the program tonight. You still with me there, Omar? Sorry, I had you on mute. Yeah. Ah, there we go. There we go. So, Omar, tell our audience a little bit about OccupyDemocrats.com. Uh, some people who are listening may not have heard of the site, but it does get quite a lot of reach. Uh, yeah, I mean, we're a pretty big site. Uh, Occupy Democrats is mostly a Facebook page. I mean, that's how it started off. Um, we've quickly grown to be the biggest and most active political Facebook page in the world by far. Uh, just last week, we broke the reach record for Facebook, as far as I'm aware. Uh, we cracked the 450 million people reached in one week. Wow. Uh, so yeah, so basically we support um, the general tenets of the Occupy movement, and we also support the Democratic Party. We don't think that they're diametrically opposed in any way. We actually think that they are congruent. Uh, we think that President Obama, Pelosi, Harry Reid, the leadership of the Democratic Party is uniquely liberal in a historical sense. And they do care about the issues that are dear to the Occupy movement. And when I first started, people thought I was crazy. They said, you know, the name doesn't make sense, Occupy Democrat, because you normally occupy Wall Street, you occupy negatively. And I said, no, we're going to occupy them positively. We're going to join forces with them. And people thought I was crazy. And within, you know, within a month, we had 3,000 likes. And within six months, we had 40,000 likes. And here we are uh, three and a half years later, and we were about to hit 4 million likes. Wow. That's a lot. 
Yeah, we make uh, original graphics. We make original news articles and original videos. And we have plenty of content coming out all every single day of the week, all day long. So what's your favorite story um, in the political arena for the last week? Um, the one well, that you I think, think is the most consequential. In the last week, I mean, without talking about Trump or Hillary, I think, I think the, um, I think what's going on with, uh, with Governor Chris Christie is pretty interesting. The media is not really covering it too much because they're tired of hearing about Bridgegate, but Bridgegate actually might end up taking him down. Um, New Jersey's Attorney General, in a, in in a related case, said that Chris Christie, he basically committed a felony, committed corruption, and violated the law. And once an attorney general says something like that, I mean, the, the hound dogs are coming after you. And in fact, the, the New Jersey Assembly is already looking into whether or not to impeach him. So it's an interesting developing story that I think is, it will be fleshed out in, in the coming weeks or so. We may see an indictment or we may see uh, even, 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 I mean, he's so unpopular in New Jersey that even Republicans might join Democrats and either censor him or impeach him. Well, you know, it, uh, I was reading about that. It only takes three of the... If every Democrat were to vote in lockstep, um, they would only need three Republican votes um, to impeach. Yeah, and I, think, I think those votes are there because Chris Christie has made himself a lot of, a, a lot of enemies, even, even within his... Right. Um, and, and I'm actually... Uh, there's, there's something on Politico. Uh, it's uh, one of Trump's aides um, because he... He used to be a campaign manager for Chris Christie, mm-hmm. and uh, and now he's Trump aide. And this aide to Trump actually said that Chris Christie, uh, you know, was involved. Like he he approved of the plot. Like he was. Oh, yeah. yeah, that that just came out today at the trial. Yeah, I mean it's it's all on paper, you know, all with FOIA requests. Everything's coming out, and he planned it. It was it was political retribution against a mayor who failed to endorse him during his re-election campaign. Now, let's so, talk about it, how this Chris Christie problem is actually a national problem, like a Trump problem, a Republican problem. He is the head of Trump's transition team. Yeah, it's, it's pretty disturbing because let's say Trump gets elected. You could have him be, I mean, you know, he's a lawyer. You could, you could put him in charge of the, of the Justice Department. Put him as attorney general. I wouldn't be surprised. Right, but, but Somebody, more so than that... Um, isn't one of Donald Trump's tropes the best people? Is is this the best people? I mean, this is the guy in charge of picking everybody that Trump is is looking to bring into office, and everybody that's ever worked for him is accusing him of going along with a scheme to just damage a lot of regular people with this Bridgegate situation. Yeah, I mean, I think... Chris Christie is just the tip of the iceberg. If, we're, if we want to get into the amount of the, the, the kind of people that Trump has been, the Trump and his campaign have surrounded themselves with. I mean, Paul Manafort is probably one of the most concerning uh, members of a presidential team that I've ever seen in my life. And he's like, he's literally working for the Kremlin. He's taken, he's taken payments uh, from, through, through Ukraine from the Kremlin and doling them out in Washington, D.C. We've never had anything like this, so... Trump, Trump is known in, in business circles as a crook. Millionaires don't respect him. Uh, and I think that he's doing the exact same thing. He's already putting a crooked team uh, around him. And, of course, he's projecting that on Hillary and calling her crooked Hillary. 
Yeah, it's bizarre. So let's talk about the next president of the United States, because assuming there's a rational vote, it's not going to be Donald Trump. What do you see as Hillary's top three agenda items if elected? I mean, what do you think she's going to be able to accomplish? Because it doesn't look like necessarily she'll be given two houses of Congress to work with. She might get lucky and pick up one of them in the Senate. Yeah, it looks like if she wins, it looks like mathematically that will guarantee her the Senate. Uh, she would need a huge victory to flip the House, which is probably unlikely. So we're still going to have divided government. And she, she said, hey, I want to work with Republicans to make deals. I personally don't think that that's very likely, and I also would not even want that to happen. Like, I'm fine. The last two years, President Obama has barely signed any bill because Republicans are just sending him garbage. Well, Republicans have barely legislated for a long time. Although I will tell you, an important bill was signed this summer, and I think that it did not get the attention it deserves, which was a bill to to update FOIA, the Freedom of Information Act, for the modern era. I don't know if you heard about that. But other, yeah, but other than that, um, Congress has been a paper tiger, sleeping. I down. think she, she may have to do a lot of executive orders. Now, she said uh, that her first order of business is going to be a constitutional, a constitutional amendment to overturn Citizens United. Now, that's going to be very hard, but I think it does. Ha- it has support from the from the far right, from the libertarian uh, wing of the Republican Party. They do support getting money out of politics, and it's supposed to be their populist. It has wide-ranging support on the Democratic side. In fact, people accuse Democrats of, of taking money and being just as corrupt as Republicans, and that couldn't be further from the truth. In fact, Republic, Democrats, every single Democratic senator voted, to, voted to, uh, to overturn Citizens United, and it was filibustered about three years ago um, by Mitch McConnell and his gang of Republicans. So I think that She's going to make a very serious effort. And if she's able to do that, it would make it would be a monumental achievement similar to Obamacare. Yeah, it would be a huge achievement. Although, you know, I mean, when's the last time that there was a uh, even slightly disputed um, amendment to the Constitution? It's it's been quite a while. It's been it's been a really long time. But also, I think this is a unique Nobody agrees. If you, po- if you get 100 Americans and you poll them and you say, do you think that there should be big money in politics, that billionaires should be able to buy elections? Like 95% of them will say no. Oh, yeah. So how, uh, out of 100 lobbyists, how many lobbyists would say no? <laughs> Zero. And therein lies the problem. Um, but fortunately, it's not just lobbyists voting. I, I actually think it's a, very, it's a, it's a really, really strong, uh, it's a really strong issue with uh, with very support on both sides. And she said that within the first month, that's going to be her first order of business. If she's able to do that, she will free herself from the corporate restraints and free Congress and free Democrats in Congress from the corporate restraints, and even Republicans as well, uh, that they had under the Obama era. Uh, Obama era. Let's remember, Citizens United was, was taken up by the Supreme Court in the two months before Obama when Obama was elected in November, before January, the Supreme Court took up the Citizens United case and ruled on it. Um, so it actually hobbled Obama a lot because his Congress is completely beholden to corporate interests. And if, unless Hillary is able to overturn Citizens United or have some strong disclosure rules or lim- in, some other, in some other way limit the influence of lobbyists, um, 
he's going to have a tough time getting anything done just like Obama did. Yeah, it, well, you know, you're right. It, it all happened very quickly. I mean, ironically, it was it was a case, the Citizens United case that opened the floodgates to all this corporate cash was all about a movie made about Hillary Clinton. <laughs> exactly. People don't know that. And they say, oh, Hillary Clinton, uh, she loves Citizens United. She, you know, she wants, she loves going out there and fundraising. But in reality, the case... She was the original defendant. No, she was the original plaintiff in the Citizens United case. It was her team that brought suit against Citizens United in order for them to uh, to uh, disclose that video and to, that the funding for that video is political funding and not not some sort of private entity. So, you know, she's always been against Citizens United, and she's been loud and clear saying that her first order of business is a constitutional amendment to overturn it, which is a pretty lofty goal and would be a huge achievement. It's pretty, it's, it's very ambitious. And I trust her. I, I trust that she will try. I just, I really, I would wish her luck and we will endorse it. And I hope she can get it done. What, what other Hillary Clinton policy do you see as likely if she gets elected? Policy, uh, a, any sort of, you know, like something that Hillary is on her agenda. What, what's the number two issue on Hillary's agenda? I think I think this one is really big. A lot of people don't talk about it, but the estate tax is a really big deal. Okay, that's uh, a good one to talk on, about. Raising yeah, the, the estate tax, tax, right? Yeah, she wants to raise it to sixty-five percent, and it's, I think currently it's like forty or something. Uh, that would really go a long way because the passing on of, of, of property and wealth um, when you die, especially if you're like a billionaire or something, and keeping that in your own family and not. Uh, I don't want to say the word spreading it out, but injecting it back into the general economy uh, actually creates a lot of socioeconomic inequality. Uh, and it's a really big deal. Uh, billionaires are willing to spend a lot of money on this, and it's going to be a tumultuous fight if, if she ever tries to get this, through, get this through Congress. But once again, she started off very ambitiously. It's a very liberal proposal to raise it to 65%. That would be historic. Well... The, the reason for the estate tax is to break up familial wealth and to reward people who work, um, not reward people who are just born well. And to pay a few bills. Yeah, exactly. And it's a really big deal because a lot of these families have managed to retain their wealth over, you know, over generations. I mean, there's and nothing wrong yeah. with familial wealth, but it's like, you know, isn't there... Isn't there some societal benefit to having a little bit of fresh blood? Yeah, exactly. I mean, that's that's why that's the whole entire point of the state tax. I mean, that's why our that's why our, our framers, you know, came up with it. And it's the same thing. It's the same thing with you know our progressive tax system. You know, Republicans always say, "Well, taxation is is theft, blah blah blah." But in reality, America has always had a progressive tax system. Now we uh, the, the government it, it's a role of the government to take money from the very wealthy. Well, since the start of to, the income tax, which was a constitutional amendment, by the way. Exactly, and and the reason why we did the income tax was because we didn't have money to fund all the things that we needed to make society function. So, I think I think raising the state tax is just it's the same kind of thinking. Like, of course, you don't want to raise it too much, you know, where where you're decreasing the amount of work or labor that people put in. 
But you don't want it to be too low where people are just retaining wealth for no reason and socioeconomic inequality is rising. Because it, it, doesn't, just, it doesn't just help uh, that rich person, but it hurts all of society, which at the end ends up hurting that rich or very wealthy individual as well. And who wants to live in a society full of dumb people with collapsing roads and no uh, social safety net for the less fortunate? Nobody does. Well, I'll tell you what, we're going to come back for our last segment in a minute, and we're going to discuss the media coverage of this year's election. I'm speaking with Omar Rivero from OccupyDemocrats.com. He is the founder of that national website, and we'll be right back. This is the Only in Miami show. This is the Only in Miami show, and I'm your host, Grant Stern. You can find me on Twitter at Grant Stern and everything about the show at www.onlyinmiami.co, iTunes, Podcast, SoundCloud, and a whole lot more. Check it out at onlyinmiami.co. And we're back live with Omar Rivero. He is the Miami native who founded OccupyDemocrats.com, the national political website. Thank you so much for joining us tonight to discuss the first presidential debate, Omar. My pleasure. So let's talk about the media coverage of the 2016 election campaign. And I'm going to bring up a tweet. I'm actually going to retweet it at Grant Stern if you're out there and you want to see this a little bit later on Twitter. And it's uh, a tweet by Lawrence O'Donnell. Uh, he is a host on MSNBC uh, Cable News. Uh, his show is The Last Word. It comes on every night at 10 o'clock. And he tweeted... Congrats to L.A. Times for finally calling a lie a lie a year late. And the headline in the lead position is scope of Trump's lies unmatched. Why do you think it took the mass media, the corporate media, I'd like to call it, because mainstream um, doesn't really accurately describe the groups, but the corporate media, the media that's, you know, uh, paid the generous salaries uh, you know, supported by corporate advertising. Why did it take them so long to come around to calling a lie a lie instead of just reporting he said, she said? You know, honestly, I think this is a, I'll give a two-pronged answer to this question. 
Um, the first part is that, I mean, I work in media. Trump sells. As crazy as he is, articles about him, they get a lot of clicks, a lot of shares. Uh, so it actually, Trump is actually making the money. I mean, these media, these media companies, I mean, their companies are trying to make money. So I see why they would try to elevate him or make him look like a serious contender because they want ratings. But also, you know, the media in this country is supposed to be fair. So they just present the facts. But and they've done that for decades. It's always it's always been that way. But Trump, Donald Trump is such a unique candidate. He's a phenomenon. He just comes and he lies, 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 lies. He's, every single word he says is a lie. So it's getting to the point that the media has broken journalistic standards. And it's starting to actually call people a liar. The New York Times just did it. The LA Times did it. Um, and it was a big deal. You know, the New York Times and, and the editor had to release a statement explaining why they're calling him a liar. <laughs> and it's pretty unprecedented. Well, uh, I'm going to read you the headline of a CNN story. Um, if I can find this guy again, um, <laughs> but you know, to me, it sounds like the, the corporate media has just started reading Occupy Democrats, you know, because a lot of the Occupy Democrats stories say something like Trump is lying. He said this, um, yeah. this is the headline. Okay. Uh, the headline is the weekend America's newspapers called Donald Trump a liar. <laughs> It's interesting. I mean, they finally got around to it. We've right. been doing it for a year and a half. Well, I mean, right. I mean, it, of course, that's, well, you know, it, it's easy enough to go to OccupyDemocrats.com and see that. But does this mean that it's finally over, that even the media has simply decided this is a contest between a pathological liar and Hillary Clinton, a Democratic political candidate? Yeah, I think so. I think I think it got it got to the point that it just it became a circus. It became a sideshow, and their own journalistic integrity, their own moral and personal integrity, uh, came into play. And also, you know, I think these guys are smart. They work in the media. They understand politics. They've seen presidents come and go. And I think that deep in their hearts, they realize this is a dangerous demagogue. This man, he would be reckless. It would be reckless to empower him to become leader of the free world. So I think it's also their own moral convictions coming into play and saying, I, I, I have to do this for my country. We have to speak up. You know, it's my role. The media is, is uh, the media is supposed to be, you know, what, what connects the people to reality and the truth and facts and history in order to help them make good political decisions. And if they're not doing their role, I mean, I'm sure they can't feel very good. At, 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 you know, they can't feel very good about themselves as professionals. No, they, they can't. I mean, it, you know, it's it's really bizarre. And I'll give you the most bizarre circumstance I think I've seen, not not just this year, um, not just in politics, but in all of the media coverage I've ever seen of anything ever. Um, a couple of weeks ago, Donald Trump, who spent five years promoting the racist birther lie, um, decided to make the world's shortest retraction at the end of a Trump hotel commercial on <laughs> CNN. Yeah. Do you believe that was the turning point? Yeah, I think it might. It, I think actually now that you bring that up, I think so because he duped the media into thinking like, Oh, this is going to be like my big apology. This and that. And instead they were, they were all tricked into cutting the regularly, regularly scheduled programming in order to give a, a commercial 
for his hotel. And then he said one little quick sentence, blamed it on Hillary Clinton, and stormed off stage. And everything, every, every, all, the report, all the journalists and reporters who were there, they were really angry. You could see their statements afterwards saying, we were duped into going there. I'm tired of Trump. Like, they basically, they've had it with him. But I do think that, that might have been the straw that broke the camel's back. Well, you know, the, the funny thing about that entire announcement, and there's nothing that wasn't funny about it, but the very funniest thing is that the entire stage collapsed while MSNBC's Katie Tour was doing a live shot in that ballroom. <laughs> I was unaware about that. It's pretty funny. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I just, I, I've never seen anything like it. It's, um, you know, do you think that the media is finally going to just stop reporting all of the outrage period? Because, frankly, it seems to me that Donald Trump's entire strategy is to simply say a lot of nasty things to try and dominate the coverage. And people that don't know any better just hear Trump a bunch of times and they're going to vote for him. That, that, I mean, that's, that seems to me to be his strategy. No matter how bizarre or stupid it is, he just wants attention like a small child. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's his strategy, and it's gotten him this far so far. But I just don't think that that's a strategy that's going to, that's going to capture a general election. There's, just, there's not enough dumb people in this country. There's a lot of ignorant Un- uninformed people who make decisions based on based off antics that they see on television, like reality TV shows. But I don't think that it's more, you know, I don't think it's 45% or whatever the percentage that he needs to win. So I'm not too worried about it. I have faith in the American people. The American people are good, smart, progressive people. And in five weeks, Donald Trump is going to be an afterthought. We will never have to hear from him ever again. And if he will stop embarrassing us, we will stop having to feel bad as a nation that he's even considered to be a candidate. And we'll go back to concentrating on the real enemies, which are the Republican establishment, Mitch McConnell, Paul Ryan, uh, the Koch brothers, uh, the, the polluters, uh, the Wall Street uh, mafia. Um, I feel well, like the left has... I, I, I think that sounds great, but I am sorry to disappoint because we will be hearing about Donald Trump a lot in November, no matter what. Because he is going to go on trial for Trump University this this November, and also he starts for racketeering, rape, and also his rape case for raping a thirteen year old girl. It's going to it's going to trial. That's going to an uh, actual trial. Like oh, it's well, passed all it, the preliminaries. No, but they're at the preliminary stage. I mean, they're they're actually having uh, meetings in court about wow. this. So it's there's I mean, the the it. Trump University racketeering trial is set. For I think it's like the week of Thanksgiving, and that's an impeachable offense. Like if if he goes down, if he's found guilty of racketeering, you will be impeached. You cannot be a pre- be president and be found guilty of, of of that kind of a felony. That that's like felonious corruption. So Donald Trump, if elected, might be impeached as soon as he gets into office. It's just it's insane. I, it's it's I really be- unprecedented. I agree. Yeah. Well, yeah, Omar, I I, I, thank you so much for joining us on the program tonight. I know you're going to be watching the bait on Bloomberg, right? Uh, yeah, we'll be here. We have our team coming in. We're having a we're having a little mini debate watch party, so it's going to be very interesting. We're going to be live blogging. Uh, check us out on Facebook.com/slash Occupy Democrats. We'll be live blogging uh, from there. All righty, Omar, thank you so much for joining us on the Only in Miami show. It's been a blast. Thank you, Grant. Always a pleasure. And we'll be back next Monday night from 6 to 7. This is the Only in Miami show.